college uh, at Central Christian College. My dad worked there, so I remember playing basketball at their basketball court in their gym, and it was this orange, nasty carpet. If you ever, back in the day, ever went there, you got to play basketball on orange carpet. And so when I grew up to high school, I played on a hard tile floor that was slick and hard. When you fell on it, you knew you were going to get bruised and beat up because it was just a hard tile floor. And then I went to college. Right after I graduated high school, they thought, well, let's put it in a nice, beautiful wood floor. So they greeted my exit by putting in a beautiful floor. And then when I went to Central, we played um, the illustrious uh, basketball career that was my career at, at Central. We played in this orange carpet. And so if you ever play on carpet, anything, but especially basketball, you know it's just not meant to be played on carpet because like when you, I'm not, I wasn't known for my hustle and my diving plays, but every once in a while I'd get a wild hair about me and I'd go diving for something, but you know that when you're diving on a court that's made of carpets, you know exactly what's coming your way, pain, suffering for weeks, all right, because it's going to rip your flesh, uh, just do all kinds of nasty things to you because of the nature of the carpet. Well, a few years after that, they replaced that with a nice, beautiful floor as well, and so it's such a pretty place now. But they have recently remodeled, and uh, Michael was up there Friday and brought me back a souvenir that will now be a, a coaster or something in my office. And so, um, or I will burn it in anger towards all the pain that it caused me over the years, and my knees creak and crack because of the playing on stuff like this when I was a young man. And so we all know that, like, just like falling, that there are certain things in life that we know that are coming our way that are going to be hard, right? And it could be a lot of different things. We know that if, you're, if some of you kids went back to school and, and you know that testing's coming and you know that, that testing can be a hard time. Or maybe at work you've got some project and you know it's a hard thing coming. And um, it could be a lot of different things. For us growing up in our family, uh, game night was always one of those things you knew it was going to be a, a rough night, right? Now, on the commercials, they always advertise board games as being family-building things. Never worked that way in my family because my family liked to play Monopoly every once in a while. And my dad would always win. No matter what we did, he always, always, always won. It was just written in the rules. Dad always wins somehow. And dad was a quiet winner. Right? He, he wouldn't boast. He wouldn't talk smack at anybody. He would just win, and he would just sit there and enjoy the suffering of those around the table. And that would just drive um, the other parental unit really, really batty. And so she would get really, really angry at him. And it would just never turned out to be that happy moment where you think, oh, aren't we glad to be a Reynolds tonight? And so uh, we have carried that on into my family with other, basically just eating a meal turns into a Monopoly game of that kind of mood at my house sometimes. And so, um, but we all have those times when we know a hard thing's coming and how do we handle it? How do we deal with that? And so we've been looking at these prayers of Jesus the last few weeks, the prayers that Jesus asked us to pray specifically about. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, where Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So again, not my will, but your will be done, God. And so that prayer, when prayed, will change you. If you are daily and regularly praying, God, it's a new day. I want your will to be done. That's going to change the way you look at things and respond to things and plan your day out. And last week we looked at the hard one in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus specifically tells us as his followers, pray for those who are your enemies. Those people that you feel like are opposing you, those people that are that is hard to give love to, pray for them. And so if you begin to pray that way, that's going to dramatically change the way that you respond to those kinds of situations. You just can't help it because God's going to work through those kinds of prayers. And we come to another one today that I think is a helpful prayer because we all go through times that we face temptation. 
we 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 wrestle we wrestle with um, the uh, what we know we want to be doing, where we're at, and we know what God's calling us to do, what our flesh is calling us to do, or what people are calling us to do, and there's that gap in the middle, and that's called temptation. And Satan uses those kinds of things oftentimes to discourage us, to drag us down, to uh, to hinder us in our walk. And so temptation and how you handle that is a major part of your life, uh, your walk with Christ. And so I'm thankful that Jesus did not leave us without help. He did not leave us without an example, or he did not leave us without guidance on this is how you can help, find help for those kinds of things in your life. And so they can apply lots of different ways, but we're going to look at a couple of verses here today. The good thing is, when we played Monopoly, there was one card that I always liked to get. It was the get out of jail free card. Remember that? Remember that little card? When, whenever you had that, because there's nothing worse than being stuck in jail, right? You can't, whatever you had to roll, sevens, eights, nines, whatever. It, I don't know, what was it? Doubles. Oh, there you go. See, I knew there was a player out here. There's a play out here. All right, very good. And so we had to get doubles, and I could never do it. So you'd be stuck there in jail, and the game's going on around you, and you're just stuck. And so uh, having a get-out-of-jail-free card relieved you from that. And in a way, in a much more mature, deeper spiritual way, what Jesus is going to present to us today is how do I get out of that feeling of I'm trapped? How do I get out of that place of, of jail where I feel like I, I can't overcome the things I'm struggling with, the things I'm tempted by? Um, how, do I, how do I manage that and get beyond that? Well, this, these verses are going to guide us in that today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus would say these words to us. He would say, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We looked at that last week. But then he finishes that sentence off, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so Jesus comes to us and says, you know what, you're going to be tempted. And when you do, here's what I want you to pray. God, would you please lead me away, lead me through, lead me when temptation comes. Because what are, we, what are we struggling with when temptation really comes our way? We're struggling on who am I going to follow, right? Am I going to follow the voice of my flesh? Am I going to follow the voice of the culture? Am I going to follow the voice of my friends? Am I going to follow the voice of God? Who am I going to follow? So who am, I, who am I following? So lead me, God. Let me follow your voice, your truth, your, your lead in my life and deliver us. Because it's not just about me and God and me and my flesh. Jesus is very honest and, and firm in his belief that there is an enemy. Uh, and, and that may not be a popular truth that our culture today and our world today to think about the devil. That may be an old-fashioned term. But if you believe in Jesus, Jesus was very firm. 25 different times in the Gospels, he uses Satan, the devil, the evil one. He uses that term for personality who was actively seeking to destroy and hinder the walks of those who are trying to follow after Christ. And so he is constantly helping us. And so God, lead me, help me to lead me, lead me through temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from his traps, from his snares, from his jail. Later in the book of Matthew, and this is where we're going to camp out here today. In Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus specifically says these words to Peter. And so I don't want to misapply them to us, but I think they are wise words for anyone who is trying to wrestle with temptation and overcome temptation. Jesus would say these words to Peter. Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, all of us would give testimony to that, that we would agree that, yeah, I've gone through times when I... Uh, I've wrestled with temptation, and I haven't been very prayerful about it, and I've probably been very weak about that. Um, and I love the idea of the spirit is willing. I, I know what it is. I want to do. I know the good things, right? I've got this standard in my mind. This is who God wants me to be. This is who I want to be for God. 
And then the reality sets in of my flesh and, and its struggles and its appetites. And, and there's that gap that we have to somehow overcome. And Jesus says the way that we overcome is by watching and praying. That we are watchful for the ways in which uh, we are being tempted. And we are prayerful in handling it. And so what I want to do today, and I don't usually do this, um, but I'm going to ask you, I know it's mid-morning here and hopefully you've had your coffee. Uh, we're going to read a very large section of the Bible, which that's a novel idea to go to church. And so if you have your Bible, I would like for you to open up to Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bible app, you can open up and look there. They will be on the screen too. Um, but we're going to read through a large passage of scripture. And so sometimes when we do that, you tend to wander off mentally because we're just reading and we're not talking. And so I just want you to focus in here, okay? You, get a little, uh, you can do it. I know you can. I believe in you. All right? It's a weekend, so you've got extra rest. Uh, you can take a nap later. So, okay? But Matthew 26, verse 30 is where we're going to start. And I want to read the context, the entire chapter that flows around that verse in which uh, Peter would, or Jesus would say to Peter, watch and pray. Why does he say that? What's going on there? And what I think is you read this section, you're going to find not only Peter and the other disciples, but you're going to find all kinds of people who are wrestling with their wills. Some of them are willing, um, uh, willing partners with the evil one, with, with the devil, and what he's trying to do against Jesus. You're going to find people who are very willful in their hatred, their anger, their wrath, their a desire to rid the world of Jesus, and so you'll see those at play. But you're also going to find people that are probably, maybe you could identify with, people who want to do the right thing, people who speak the word to say, I want to do what's right here, but they're willing, but their flesh is struggling. And so how do you find help for that? And, and I think you're going to find an example as we look through this passage and read through this, you're going to find those dynamics at work. So watch that as we read. Beginning in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, you find these words. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so let's just set a context here. They have been up in the upper room. They just had observed the Passover meal together. Uh, Jesus had taken the old... Old Testament version of the Passover meal transformed it into what we now know as communion service, that this is my body and this is my blood. Remember me through these elements. And then they leave um, that upper room and they go to a place that Jesus liked to go with his disciples, a little park outside of Jerusalem, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And um, Jesus told them along the way these words, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And so Jesus gives them this warning. He said, hey, this is not going to end well tonight. It's going to be a rough night for you guys. You're going to all fall away. You're going to distance yourself from me. But Peter replied, spokesman for the group, even if all of them fall away on account of you, I never will. So what's his determined will? I'm not, I won't deny you. I won't fall away from you. So he's got the, the, the willing spirit, right, to want to do right. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, though, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die for you, Jesus, I will never, 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 never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. So they're all in agreement, all 11 of them that are left, that, that they're not going to disobey Jesus. They're not going to disown him. They are firm in their following. 
of him. And you've been there, right? You wake up in the morning, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna not yell at the kids. I'm gonna do this today. I'm gonna be this today. And yet life happens. And so then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So note what Jesus does. Again, you guys, you and I know the story, the big picture of what's going on here. Jesus is building up towards the cross. And so he knows a difficult thing is coming his way. He knows testing and a temptation is coming his way. So what does he turn to? He turns to prayer. And so I'm going to go over there and pray. And so he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him. So the, the nine, they're left, or eight, they're left, and the three that go with him a little farther. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So note the pain he's feeling. So sometimes you think, well, man, it's really hard when I struggle with temptation. Note that Jesus felt that too. Jesus wrestled. He hurt. He, he felt overwhelmed with sorrow and, and the pain, and he, he struggled with that. And so what did he do? He asked his friends, stay with me, stay here, and, and keep watch with me. In other words, pray with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so going back two weeks ago, what does Jesus characterize by praying? God, this is a hard thing. I would ask that it be taken from me. But again, this isn't my will I'm seeking. I'm seeking your will. Your will be done. And then he got up after, that's much longer prayer than that little sentence was, but he prayed for a long time over that topic. And then he returned to his disciples and found them watching and praying. No, found them sleeping. And he said to them, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? That's what I'm going to start saying when I catch you guys sleeping at church after, on the way out. Hey, good sermon. Couldn't you have stayed with me for one hour? Okay, well, that's what I'm going to start saying to you. Um, and so he so asked Peter, and this is where our, our key phrase comes from, watch and pray. Peter, again, in the context of him being woken up from a tired, long night, he's had a big meal just before that, it's late at night, it's dark, it's probably cool, it's just a lot of factors made him very tired. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Your spirit's willing, you want to do right, Peter, but your flesh is weak. And so he goes on to say, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them, didn't wake him up this time, just went back and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And so going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi. And he did the old, uh, the Aramaic greeting that we still see today when people greet each other, they kissed each other on the cheek as a sign of friendship. Instead of a handshake, it would be a kiss. And so they kissed him on the cheek and, and said, greetings, Rabbi. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friends. Then the man, men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. We know from a different gospel, it's Peter, and drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. 
Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, I can fix this if I wanted to, but I want to do his will. And so I'm staying right here. I will take the cup that is destined for me. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled and all of the disciples deserted him and fled. All the disciples deserted him and fled. So again, they all said just moments before, we're with you all night. We were, we're with you to the end, Jesus. But all of a sudden, things get confusing and hard. And what do they do? In their tired, weak state, they flee from him. And so those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance. I know it's interesting to me that, that Peter fled, but yet he still has those words of promise and ringing in his head, in his head saying, hey, I promised I'd be with him. And so I need to see this through. And so he follows from a distance. He's checking up on Jesus to see what's going to happen to him right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And he entered uh, quietly after the crowd and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin now were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow Jesus said, I am about able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days, which, if you were a Jewish person, it was blasphemy to speak against the temple building itself. It's kind of like if you go into an airport today and yell bomb, that's a serious offense, right? People are going to come upon you very quickly. It's the same thing. They, they treasured their temple, and to speak ill of it was to speak ill of God even himself. And so those were capital offenses, Jesus wasn't talking about their building, their physical temple, was he? Jesus was talking about destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. But they used those words to, to indict him and to begin the capital punishment process. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. In other words, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And so Jesus very clearly says, hey, I am all that, right? I am, I am the Son of God. I am everything that, I, that you are accusing me of. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. And then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said to him, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. 
Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. You read a story of a man who's struggling with temptation. A man who knows the right that he wants to do, and yet so many influences in his life are pulling him away from doing right. And that's a common feeling for all of us. I know the right I want to do, and yet the pressures of culture, the fear of the approval of people, the fear of safety, all of those things pull us away. And Satan uses those times of tempting and testing to discourage our obedience. And yet Jesus told Peter before the testing came, watch and pray, Peter, so that you will not fall into temptation. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And so how do we overcome the weakness of flesh? Jesus would remind us that it's by watching and praying that we find a strength that we would not have otherwise. And I think as you read that story, what you find is that one man who spends three separate hours praying for God's help and his strength and a surrender of his own will comes through the evening victorious, even though he's falsely accused, even though he's attacked and struck and spat upon and accused falsely and soon to be crucified. That man holds his integrity. That man holds his faithfulness because he had the strength of those times in prayer. The other man is prayerless, and he has great intentions. He has boastful words about how good he will be, but there is no power in his life, and so he falters and he wilts under the pressure of the moment. And so Jesus isn't just telling Peter what to do. Jesus is showing Peter, this is how you survive the attack. You've got to watch and you've got to pray, Peter, because the attacks are real, they are serious, they are scary, and you need a power that is beyond your weak flesh overcome it. And that's why when you begin to pray a prayer like the one we look at here today, that it begins to change you because it gives you a power that you did not have before. It gives you a perspective you did not have and, and help that you did not have. And so what I would like to do as we just finish this this morning is just highlight very quickly um, at least four different helps that praying what Jesus told us to pray, uh, lead us out into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How does that help us? Well, it helps us, number one, it helps us to admit our need for deliverance. If we're honest, we don't like to admit that we need help, do we? Most of us think, I'm fine. I don't need help from you or from God. I've got it myself. And that's kind of Peter's attitude. Peter loved Jesus, but he, when, Peter, when Jesus said, hey, there's, this is bigger than you, Peter, Peter said, no, I've got it. I'm okay with this. And yet this story reminds us that on our own, we are quite vulnerable. Um, over and over in the Bible, you find references um, of submitting ourselves to God to find his help for our life. And we are capable of about anything. And you read this story and you think, what is a human being capable of? Well, on the one hand, you've got these willing participants who are using all of their power, resources, energy, efforts to rid the world of a man they hate. And so what is a human being capable of? When we are self-willed, we are capable of doing a great amount of harm to a lot of innocent people. And there are stories of that all the time. And so you see the religious leaders, you see Judas cooperating with that. You find people giving into the temptation to use self-will for self, uh, selfish ambition. And yet even 
the good ones in this story, if I could use that term. Even the well-intentioned people in this story, they mean well. But apart from the help and the power of God, they find themselves falling. They find themselves weak, and they have nothing to do in the evening. And so it's interesting, again, that the one who spends significant time in prayer comes out resisting temptation. The one who boasts significantly in his own power, but prays little or none, comes out of this having blown it, sitting in a corner, weeping for how bad he feels about himself because he failed. And so you and I go through life and, and we think, well, I, I'm okay today. Everything's smooth and fine. And all of a sudden you're walking through school and temptation comes and, and you've got to wrestle with that. Or you're at work and temptation comes. You're at home. You're, you're wherever. Temptation comes. And, and a prayerless life will have little power to resist that. I love the story. I showed you the card earlier of the get out of jail free card. There was a story from a, an arrest made in, in Minnesota from the Dakota County Sheriff's Office that, that said a man who was wanted on an outstanding warrant tried to uh, uh, get out of his arrest for his uh, uh, drug possession charges that was against him uh, when they found him, and he had a get-out-of-jail-free card in his pockets, and he tried to pull it out, and he tried to use it with the police officers, say, hey, I, I got a card here that gets me out of jail for free, and guess where he went? To jail because the cops didn't care, because there was a higher authority at work there, and it didn't matter to him. Said, I've got this card on my own that I, I, I can wield it, but it's got to be something bigger than that. And so you and I, in our life, we need, we need help. And praying this prayer on a regular basis is our declaration that, God, I can't do this myself. I can't handle temptation. I can't do it by myself. And so, God, I need you to help me. Number two, a second help, it, I think it helps us to appreciate the strength of our deliverer. And we won't say much about this because I think the text speaks for itself. One person shines through this text quite clearly, and it's Jesus. Everybody else is bumbling or rebellious or just making a mess of this, and there's Jesus who just overcomes, steadfast, firm to do his Father's will, firm all the way to the cross, uh, just showing kindness where, where he's shown anger and hatred, uh, blessing people who curse him, uh, just all the good things that you see that come out of Jesus' life. And he is strong. But why is he strong? It's because he used the same things, the same tools that you and I have available to us. He used prayer. He used the word of God. And I might just say he also used his friends. Although his friends were not much help, he asked for that community to help him. And so he is strong. And so when you wrestle with temptation, I just want you to be mindful that, that the Bible talks about how Jesus has been tempted in all ways like we are, yet is without sin. And so when you go to him with your struggles, he's not going to approach you as someone who is just so far above you, he can't relate to you. He's anguished. He has wrestled. He has hurt. And he has gone through the gauntlet like you go through the gauntlet when you and I struggle with temptation. And he is sympathetic, he is compassionate, he understands, but he's also victorious. And so he can help us and lead us if that is our prayer. And so I think this helps us to appreciate the strength of our deliverer. Number three, I think this helps us to aim for a more Christ-like life. Really behind this prayer is an acknowledgement that God, the temptations that I face and the sin they often lead me to take me to places I don't want to be. That evil that works in its life, in my life, taints my life, diminishing my character, 
It corrupts my witness. It damages my relationships with people that I influence. It separates me from intimacy with God. All this sin does nothing to help me in my life. And so this prayer is, God, I need you to deliver me from, deliver me through, deliver me in this moment. Because really the ultimate goal is not to just escape temptation. It's to be more like Christ, to know him, to be more and more like him. Yesterday, my wife and I were shopping in a part of St. Louis where we were waiting for a wedding to start, and we came into a little shop, and we found this little shirt. It's a, it's a quote from a lady on TV named Gladys Hardy. It says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Um, and if you know Gladys Hardy, I mean, that's, that's a funny shirt. And she's a sweet old lady. Uh, if you go back and listen to the clips on the Internet, you can do that. But, uh, and, and so she's a sweet old lady, and I think she's sincere in what she's saying there. But the more I looked at that shirt and the more I wrestled with that and this point, I thought, that shirt can be taken one of two ways, right? All of us, if you're a Christian, I love Jesus, but I got a long ways to go. So th you can take it in that way. That's okay. That should be an honest declaration. Paul was very honest about his shortcomings. I'm not there yet. I've got a long ways to go, right? So th there's, a one, there's an innocent way you could take that. But sometimes in our culture, we take it a different way. I love Jesus, but I still cuss a little. All right, it's a celebratory statement. I love Jesus, but I still do these things that I want to do because I don't love Jesus as much as I love doing what I want to do. And so I just, the more I just thought about that shirt, and again, I'm not judging Miss Gladys. She's a great little old lady. Um, but I, I just think it's worth thinking of. Praying for leading, praying to be delivered from temptation is a prayer to say, God, I still do those things, but I sure want to stop doing those things. I still do those things that I'm not proud of and that your word says is wrong, but I want to be better than that. I want to grow past these temptations, and I want to get stronger in my faith. And so Jesus would say it this way in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say you should do. And so, again, what is this prayer helping us to do? It's helping us to stay focused on there is a higher will. There is a better way. And me and my temptations, that's serious stuff. And if I don't fight temptation, I'm just going to give into it, and all kinds of mess is going to be in my life. But I want to love Jesus in a way that, that allows him and the world to see that, man, he, he loves Jesus enough to do what Jesus says, okay? And so that leads us to a fourth thing. If we, um, I think this prayer helps us, and this is where this all comes full circle back to grace, right? Because this isn't about just you and I trying harder. I hope you don't leave here with that today. I hope it's about depending upon him, leaning into him. But this fourth thing is simply this, that the Deliver Us prayer helps us to admire God's ability to turn the ugliest of days into the most beautiful of moments. Again, we've all wrestled in temptation, and we have fallen, just like Peter. And there's a reason that we identify with Peter so well, because his story is so oftentimes our story. But I love this story because this is Peter's ugliest day. If you were to ask Peter, what's your worst day of life? It's the day that three times within a few moments' time, I denied that I even knew the guy. That was the worst of my days. I was the worst of friends. But yet you keep reading, and, and this whole story is ugly, and it is brutal, it is violent, it is wrong. But what does the grace of God do with that? He turns it into something beautiful, that something that people 2,000 years later are still going to gather in buildings and we're going to give thanks for this ugly, difficult moment that God allowed his son to be crucified. But then he rose again 
that began to change everything. And, and what once appeared to be failure and weakness, all of a sudden God turns into strength and, and a chance for testimony and God to be glorified through. And so, yes, we're going to struggle. You are. We all are. But I'm thankful that the struggle and even our failures don't mean the story's over. Because Peter got up. And Peter found a grace when Jesus came seeking him out and he restored him and he reassured him and he set him on a new trajectory. And Peter's life was never the same because grace changed him. And so it wasn't because Peter was perfect. It was because Peter was forgiven and Peter was restored and Peter found grace in his weakest moments to keep going. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to pray prayers that change your life. And I think the prayer that I would encourage you to pray this week is simply the words of Jesus. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. And all that that means in my life daily. And when I stumble and fall, I'll keep praying it, God, because I know you're not done with me yet. Just like you weren't done with Peter. Just like you weren't done with those disciples. You had a great mission for them. And out of their denial and their their fake friendship for the night, you brought something beautiful out of your grace. And so it's my hope and my prayer for you and me that we would embrace that and we'd be changed because of it. Would you pray with me, please? God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that grace. I'm thankful that the story just doesn't end with Peter in a corner crying because he knows he's blown it. What a sad and depressing story that would be. I'm thankful that the story involves a sacrificial death for the sins of those weak flesh disciples and the sins of us as weak flesh disciples today. I'm thankful that there was a sacrificial death. I'm thankful that there was a, a resurrected Lord and Savior who brought power with him when he came back from the grave. And I'm thankful that in the days following that resurrection that Jesus intentionally sought out the broken and the weak and he gave them a power through his presence and through his spirit and through his word that he would use in their life to change them. So Father, today, would you help us? Help us to be changed. Help us to pray in such a way that, that our lives are transformed and that we grow in strength and that while we'll never completely defeat Satan, never completely overcome our flesh, but, but we see growth, we see change, we see character grow and relationships more healthy and, and our witness more bold and more grateful because you were at work in our life. And so would you change us? Would you lead us in times of temptation? Help us to hear your voice above all the other voices that are calling us to come this way. And would you deliver us from the evil one who seeks nothing but to destroy us and harm us and, and ruin us. And so we pray, Father, today for deliverance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we gather here and finish here today in, in this gathering, we, uh, I just want to highlight one last thing about Jesus in that story. That, that It's the little part where Jesus is struggling and he is overwhelmed with the temptation, overwhelmed with the pain and the hurt and the struggle. And so what does he do? He knows he needs to go talk to his father, but he gathers two or three of his friends and says, I'd, I'd like to not carry this burden alone if I could. And maybe in this moment today, you've got something that you're carrying and it's hard 
and it's difficult, and maybe you don't want to come in, up in front of all these people, and I get that, but I'll be up here after church today. If you're just carrying something, you just need somebody to pray with you, or maybe find a friend that you're sitting by after church here and say, would you just pray for me? Because I, I don't want to carry this alone, because Satan loves it when we're alone. He loves it when we hide our struggles. He loves it when we, we just bury it and pretend it's not there, but, but we're dying on the inside because of it. You see, Jesus brought his friends together, and they weren't very good friends, but he tried. And there was strength to be found in that community. And so today, if you're struggling, uh, maybe you want to come forward, and we'll pray with you during the, as we sing this song, or maybe just after church, come up here, and we'd like to pray for you and serve you today that way. And just helping you carry your burdens and your struggles and the temptations that you're wrestling with, because we don't want you to go through it alone. So let's stand together, let's worship him, and uh, let's ask for his leading.